morning, everyone. This morning's readings from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. The rejoicing in heaven. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. For his judgments are true and just, and he has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they said, Hallelujah, the smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. That's Sarah's mum who just read that, so <laughs> well done. You produced a brilliant worship leader, thank you, and to Steve as well. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us, so most wonderfully displayed in Jesus, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that Jesus would become real to all of us this morning in an even more powerful way as we look at the Bible, as we turn to your word. Jesus becomes so real to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things I'm going to do this morning, this is week two of a short series we're doing about intimacy with God. And what I wanted to talk about for a few moments is knowing Jesus, our bridegroom. Knowing Jesus, our bridegroom. And it's so random that we got wedding stuff just coming out of every whatever out the pack to the gunnels with wedding stuff this morning um, because this just happened to be what we were going to be looking at this morning and one of the remarkable things is that when you think about marriage and weddings uh, in the bible there are many many similarities with how we understand and see marriages today which still last because when you've gone to a church wedding 
what you found is the whole ceremony and the symbology of what's going on are something taken from scripture that's been handed down to the church uh, ever since. And just to put this in a bit of context, particularly after this week, um, one of the things that I just found really grievous about the whole Harry and Meghan thing, just really sad, was in, in just three short years since 2018, suddenly you've got two broken people in California and you've got a broken family over here, and all of the purity and beauty of that special day in May 2018 seems to just be a long way away from what that family are experiencing today. Because I was, I was bringing Finn, our eldest son, uh, back from a cricket match on, on that, and we, I said, listen, we've got to listen to Harry and Meghan's wedding. And I'm a bit of a big old softie. <laughs> and so he's just been playing cricket and whatever. And I, I'm just listening to the words of this service and the description of what happened. And, you know, I saw all the pictures later, but I was just listening to this on the radio, just weeping and weeping. Not because I'm an, a staunch royalist, <laughs> as I know one or two are. <laughs> um, not because of that, but just because of the holiness and the sacredness of what was being played out before our eyes. And when I watched it back on the pictures, can you remember it? It was like the whole world was watching. And every single dignitary was assembled. And Harry and his family were already in the church. And there were all these different chambers to St. George's Chapel in Windsor. And you got people on the outside, and then those invited further in. And it's such a picture of the throne room of heaven. You know, that there are some really close to the throne of God, and there are some just a bit further away, but every eye is focused at the front. And then she comes, and she had that train of her dress, you know, about three miles long, and she comes into the church, and suddenly, you know, the choir began to sing. And, you know, what we don't get in a more modern church like ours is just top class you know, choral music written by, you know, I don't know, someone in the Renaissance period. And it was just like angels were just singing, you know, throughout the church. And, and she comes in, and Harry's waiting for her. She's, you know, coming towards him. And they're both united at the altar under the Archbishop of Canterbury, playing out the role of God in that moment you know, who was going to lead them through a priestly, holy ceremony where a man and a woman become husband and wife and, as we read a week ago, became united together and became one. And it's such an incredible picture of knowing Jesus as our bridegroom. And how the Bible talks about knowing Jesus is that he, in this particular role, is like Harry. So here's where the analogy, I don't want to press too hard. But, um, but Jesus is the bridegroom. And the father, looking on, as we read last week, brings together his son, the bridegroom, with his bride. And in the Bible, the bride of Christ is the church. It's a corporate picture of all ages, all stages, 
every single Christian throughout the whole of history brought into, through faith in Jesus, the reality of being the church known as the bride of Christ. Now we'll get into that in, in just a few moments, but, um, but let's just back up and just think to ourselves a little bit about the church. And it's important to think about this because when you imagine the serenity and purity of the bride as was pictured on that day in May 2018, that isn't always how we think about the church today. <laughs> and it isn't certainly how the media would think about the church today. So what is the church? What is the church? How do we understand it? And I think that's important for then understanding what Jesus has done and how he acts towards us as our bridegroom. So what is the church? And there's a few Bible references which I'm going to turn to. And if you're watching this online, I put them in the live chat. Um, we're going to get to Revelation 19, which Joe read to us. But we're going to turn to Hebrews 12 in just a moment. But what is, what is the church? So the first thing the church is, is the church is the result of what Jesus has done. We are all here today... Because what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, that we've been singing about so beautifully, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection three days later, his ascension into heaven, his release of the Spirit of God into the world, all that Jesus did to unite human beings back to God, the church is the result of that. And so when we come together we are coming together with those acts at the center and we come together as the community of the recipients of what Jesus has done. The community of the ransomed ones where Jesus paid the price to win us back that we didn't have to. So the church is always our response to what Jesus did. It's the result of the work that he did. And one of the words in the New Testament for the church is that it is the ecclesia, the gathered ones, the ones who've been gathered out of one place around Jesus. And that word comes from all the important big dogs in you know, Mediterranean society 2,000 years ago would come out of their city and gather at the gates of the city and they would form an ecclesia. And they would talk about the important things that affected the city. Um, and unfortunately, girls, they tended to be men in those days, but we've managed to find a, a new way of, of being. Um, but they would be called the ecclesia. And that's the same thing. It's being called out of the world, around Jesus, to talk about the most important things to us, which is Jesus and what he's doing in the world. The second thing the church is, is the church is the community that is organized or ordered by Jesus. The church isn't something that we just make up. The church happens in a truly miraculous way because gifts that Jesus gives to the church are what the church recognizes and bless and release. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about Jesus giving leadership gifts to his body another word for the church, and he distributed those. And so on a local level, we are the result 
of coming together under God and recognizing that the church, the gathered ones around Jesus, is put together in a particular way and certain gifts are given to those who lead it. But even as those gifts are given, the life of Jesus is given to sustain it and nurture it. And I think about Louise and I who are here. You know, we get to serve in the most wonderful church with the most incredible people. But I'm telling you, after nearly eight years, there are times from time to time, where we think to ourselves, it's not the wages, it's not the, it's not worse. It's truly because God has called us and he sustains us, as he does you. Time after time, he provides for us as a community. We grieve and God provides for us in our mourning, as we're praying that he will do for Phil and Lily. When we rejoice and see breakthrough, it's as a result of Jesus working for us. He is the one who is ordering us and organizing us and sustaining us all the way through. The third thing, so we are uh, gathered around him, we're ordered by him. The third thing is the church is sent by Jesus back into the world to shine a different light in society, to be different. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hill. You know, if you ever uh, look up at Chanctonbury Ring in the daytime, you can see, you know, that circle of trees on the top. And you suddenly look up and you think, yeah, that's cool. That's where we live. But can you imagine a city being there? You know, 1,500 years ago, the Romans built a fort there so that everybody around could observe. And in the daytime, they could see it. But at night, they could see the fires, the, the torches that be lit. And everybody around could look up and go, oh my goodness, there's a safe place. There's a refuge. There's a community. There's, there's safety. There's protection for me. Which is what Jesus means. And the church is how God on earth paints the picture of heaven. That's a powerful calling when we mess it up, isn't it? But that's what we're meant to be, sent by Jesus into the world to be a different community. And the fourth thing is that the church is drawn to him as a bride to a bridegroom. Let me just back up and read you some verses from Hebrews 12 just to help us think about the church in terms of a holy way and then we'll think about it in terms of the bride of Christ. In Hebrews 12, we're reminded that you know, whilst we love our church, we are born into the spiritual church which is going on around us. And in Hebrews 12, picking up at verse 22, the writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you know, when you walked in the door this morning, you were coming into the corporate church of Jesus and spiritually, we are coming into the heavenly Jerusalem. We can't, we can't see it. This is a building. But spiritually, that's what's going on. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. You know, in heaven, there are just millions of angels all around. And they're amongst us even now, spiritually, as we lift up the name of Jesus. 
to the church of the firstborn whose names are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant you know when we gathered this morning we were excited to come together but when we glimpse the spiritual picture of the church it's like oh my goodness it's like we came into just heaven this morning angels all around us the throne God who is judging us even with righteousness welcoming us because of his son and our names being written in the book of life forever and ever and ever it's incredible isn't it maybe (laughs) and in this context we understand Jesus to be our bridegroom now, I got married 19 years ago, a bit longer than Harry and Meghan. But I'm telling you what, you know, with fear and trembling, when you get married, if, that, if you have known that experience, when you get married, in the best sense, what you're taking on as a husband is, I will do anything for this girl. Over my dead body, will she be looked after? Will she be preferred? Will she be cared for? Will she be loved? Will she be cherished and nurtured? Darren? Thomas? Innes? (laughs) Because in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. So when you take a wedding, and I always tell the grooms this about 10 minutes before the service starts. (laughs) Just so you know, from this day forward, your life ends. Because you exist to lay down your life for this precious creature who's going to walk through those doors in about 10 minutes' time. So selfishness goes now. Domineering aggression goes now. Not that any of these chaps are like that. All of the stuff where you are at the center of your life goes now. You are dying so that that girl feels like you have laid down your life to make her flourish, to enable her to be cherished and loved and protected. This is where as husbands we need the grace of God because we can't always live live that out. But that's what we're called to live out. And this is what Jesus, this is the love that Jesus, our bridegroom, loves us with. Now we'll think about this personally in a moment, but think about the church. You know, would you give your life for the church? Would you give your life for the Church of England? (laughs) I don't know, but Jesus did. Because he looked beyond us and he looked beyond our foibles and our frailties. And here's the thing, whether your wives deserve it or not, we're modeling our sacrificial life laid down love on Jesus Christ who 2,000 years ago gave his own life so that the church could be born and could be cherished and sustained and nurtured and protected and loved and become all it was called to be. Now, one of the passages in Scripture 
and we'll turn to it now from Song of Songs chapter 8, talks about the passionate love of God. It's a weird book of the Bible because we don't often understand it unless we can understand this as being a picture of the fierce, unrelenting, passionate love of God for his bride. Picturing the love Jesus would have for his church. And there's some crazy stuff in there. You know, um, your rounded thighs are like jewels. (laughs) Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. You are terrible as an army with banners. Well, you know, when we're having a date night. Han, you are terrible as an army with banners. (laughs) But but it's, it's passionate language. But it comes to a conclusion in chapter 8 in Song of Songs. And, it, and the, the, the bridegroom says to the bride, set me as a seal upon your arm, as a seal upon your heart, for love is as strong as death, passion, fierce as the grave. A love that would go and self-sacrifice for the other. A love that maybe we don't get to live out like we would see in a movie and emptying the dishwasher doesn't feel like laying down your life nobly in sacrifice but it's every single day every moment putting the other first and laying down our rights laying down our pride laying down our self-centeredness so that the other could be lifted up That's what Jesus did that the church could be born. That's what husbands do who are loving like Jesus loved the church. That's what the church does when we love each other, when we love our neighbours as we ought to love ourselves and we love God and one another with his same sacrificial love. It's flashes of flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench this love. Floods cannot drown it. It's a passionate, clear everything out of the way. I'm single-eyed because I love you and my passion is overwhelming me for you. And that's how Jesus loves loves the church as a bridegroom loves the bride. Now the obvious question is, how could he possibly do that? How could he possibly love me? How could he possibly... Husbands, how could he possibly love me when we don't love our wives as Christ loves the church? How could we possibly believe that? Well, again, we've got another beautiful picture in the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, we see the love of God portrayed again. Hosea was a prophet, and he was called by God, commanded by God, to go and find a prostitute and to marry her. And he does. God says, go and marry a prostitute. And he goes to marry her, and she is, time after time, unfaithful to him. And the reason God asks him to do that as a prophet is because God is saying, that's how much I love you and the people of God. That's how much I care for you. Even when you are unfaithful, even when you are spiritually adulterous, even when you give your hearts to someone you shouldn't, 
even when you worship foreign gods rather than me, I am still committed to you. And it's a heartbreaking book, but it's a book of the depths of the passion of the love of God. It's showing the heart of God. So please, anybody listening to this, it is not giving essentially practical advice per se. So if anybody needs some help, please reach out on a pastoral level to one of us on the team. That's not what the book's about. The book is saying that God loves us when we don't deserve it. That God loves us when we're unfaithful. That God loves us when we walk apart from him. That he is unswerving in his focus and attention to us. And think about the church. Again, think about Jesus as our bridegroom as the church. Still committed. Still faithful to us even when we're faithless to him. Still loyal to us even when we're disloyal to him. And the book of Hosea finishes, and we can pick it up at chapter 14 uh, from verse 4. The book of Hosea finishes with, again, God reaffirming his covenant of love to um, his people. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew of the rain to my people. They shall blossom again like the lily. They shall strike root like the forests of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow. They shall again flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. I mean, it's just stunning language when we engage in it and capture the heart of God. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief for all of us? That the love of God is far stronger than you or I. Now let's turn back to uh, Revelation 19. I'm just going to pull out a couple of things uh, from this passage. The first part, just before Revelation 19, evil personified in Babylon has been destroyed and justice begins to be delivered to the earth which we picked this up in discovering God in COVID on Tuesday night yeah I've been talking about the love of God but the justice of God is so important you know if we were robbed or stolen from or we'd lost knowing that God wins out in the end and establishes justice is such a relief to us. And in Revelation 18, we see evil beginning to be dealt the hand of justice. And the person writing the book of Revelation, John, the apostle, sees into heaven. And he sees that, uh, well, let's read it through. We'll pick up a, a verse three. In response to justice being executed and the martyrs of God beginning to be avenged, once more, heaven says, hallelujah. The smoke goes up from the destruction of evil forever and ever. And he sees into heaven and he sees 24 heavenly dignitaries, elders, and four unearthly 
mystical, spiritual creatures who've fallen down around the throne of God and worship him. They worship God who's seated on the throne. They say, Amen, Hallelujah. And then from the throne of God, so if we can imagine just 24 kings just bowing down and and incredible spiritual creatures just worshipping and a voice comes out from the throne and it says, Praise our God, all you his servants and all who fear him, small and great. And then John begins to hear heavenly music. We've seen this before in the book of Revelation. But he hears heavenly music and it's the sound of of many waters. A couple of years ago we got to go to Canada and we stood next to Niagara Falls at one point in our trip. And it thunders. It absolutely thunders down. And, you know, every, it's like, oh my goodness, I haven't been this close to anything that naturally powerful. You know, it absolutely roars before you. And he hears the sound of many waters thundering. And the sound of thunder relentlessly crashing. And voices crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Now we've got Jesus the bridegroom, but he's also in this picture of heaven known as the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God, who laid down his life, as we've been saying, for the bride, for the church, for those of us who love him and put our trust in him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And in heaven there's a wounded Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, who gets married to the bride. And forget the intricacies and the physicality of that, but this is the celebration, the coming together, the the coming down the aisle of the bride, the church of Christ, coming together with Jesus, the Lamb of God, before the throne. And a, a kind of vain, not quite as good earthly picture of Megan coming down and Harry being at the front and the holiness of that picture. And this is what's going on. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been given to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. You know, we are not at that stage yet. The coming together, the marriage, the the, the consecration, the consummation of Jesus and his church coming together in absolute oneness. We're not at, the, not at that picture yet. But, but where are we? You know, when Louise and I got married on the 3rd of June 2002, I wasn't there at this stage because um, she was at her mum and dad's house. But I'm told this is how the wedding morning played out. And I don't know if it's going to be like you guys, but anyway... Everyone's up early, really early, <laughs> and the hairdressers come in, and that seems to take about three hours. Um, and um, at some point, you know, the bridal party bathe, and then at some point, before we go down to the church, the wedding dress is put on, and I'm told that, that Mike, Louise's dad, you know, made a, a, a cooked breakfast, as you do. It's kind of what us blokes do, isn't it? We, Find some eggs, find some bacon, and just that's all going to make it better. (laughs) 
because everybody's nervous and everybody's excited and all of that, but a bit of bacon, you know. <laughs> if anybody doesn't believe in resurrection, then just bring bacon into the equation. And however bad you're feeling, bacon seems to just sort you out. <laughs> so anyway, he makes some cooked breakfast, but of course, Louise can't eat anything <laughs> because everybody's nervous and everybody's excited. No one can eat in any way. But also think about it like this. The bridal dress is on. There's no way you can get bacon fat. <laughs> or brown sauce squeezing out of a bacon sandwich. There's no way you can spoil it. Because you're, you're there. Everything's been made ready. And it's not quite the marriage yet. But everything's been made ready and everything's in position. There's this nervous excitement about what's to come. Now this is where we live. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, it has been given to us to wear royal, pure, priestly clothes, bridal clothes. However messed up our lives are, when we put our trust in Jesus, his sacrifice washes us clean. And we become, as the Bible says, white as... I mean, my life was messed up. But when I put my trust in Jesus and what he did, my life became as white as snow. On the outside, I'm clothed with, as the Bible calls, his righteousness. And so the church of the firstborn, as we've read, we're all wearing the robes of Jesus, purchased by his precious blood. It has been given to us, the church, to wear robes bright and pure, fine pure linen and that is composed of the righteous deeds of the saints now when we're clothed by the festal garments of Jesus his precious blood washing us white as snow it doesn't mean that everything we always do is always of white as snow which means every single day I have to put my trust in the cleansing, powerful blood of Jesus 2,000 years ago. That's why we sing about it every week. But what, what that does mean, when I think about it like this, is that there's no way I'm going to spoil these robes with any HP sauce or any bacon fat. There's no way I'm going to spoil my life by bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or cruelty. Because I don't want to spoil these robes that have been given to me as a free gift. I don't want to break a covenant of love that's going to be consummated sometime when at the end of the age we, we as the church marry our bridegroom. But now I get to live not wanting to spoil or bring into myself anything that would fracture or impinge or cause my bonds of love with Jesus to suffer and to strain. Does this make sense? So I might be offered the opportunity to gossip as a bacon sandwich. That's not what I need. I don't want to spoil these robes or these garments because I'm getting ready as the church of Jesus, the church of the firstborn, I'm getting ready to be with him. And I'm, there's no way I'm going to mess up these garments even now. And I probably can't do justice to that, but maybe some of the 
people who've been brides in this room could, could know that more and more. But we live now in this short period between probably 11 a.m. on the wedding morning and 1 p.m. when we get to the church and, and the consummation of the marriage or the, 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 the consecration of the marriage begins and we begin our journey in oneness with the Lamb of God, our bridegroom. So we're living in this short time between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., this short moment in history before Jesus comes and the church is brought together in union and oneness with its bridegroom. And so we live now, I'm just longing for him, longing to be with him, longing to honor him, longing to worship him, longing to, longing to be ready for him because of, because of all that's to come and all that he's done as well. Does this make sense? You know, and down the ages, the church has said of itself in what's known as the Apostles' Creed, we are the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But, you know, sometimes we've, we've thought about holiness in terms that we don't like. But, you know, when you think about it like this, I've been clothed and I'm ready. And I just, I don't want anything to mess it up so that I'm ready for him. And so how do we, how do we live in response to this? Jesus, our bridegroom, loves us so much. He's drawing us to the, to, the, to the altar, to the heavenly altar. He's drawing us to that marriage at the end of the age. He's drawing us to himself. How can he love us? Because he just loves us so much, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are and how we were made to be. You know, there'll be times where Darren, Tom... There'll be the occasional time your brides let you down. The occasional once in a, you know, once in a while that your bride lets you down. But you'll remember her like Jesus loves the church. Relentlessly forgiving, relentlessly loving. Even with a moment of disloyalty. I am in because that's the covenant of love that I've chosen. In sickness and in health, for better, for worse. All that I am, I give to you. These are the words we say in the marriage service, but they are pictured on the sacrificial love of Jesus. All that he is, he gives to us. And all that he has, he shares with us. And so in response, we say, all that I am, I give to you and all that I have I share with you. And we live out our lives. We live out our lives not wanting to, not wanting to stain these royal robes, these, these wedding garments, these festal, this festal array that he has adorned us with. We live out our lives wanting to just fix our eyes on what's to come in this short period before we're with him forever and ever, consecrated, consummated, united before the throne of God forever and ever and ever. And it makes us remember how precious one another is as well. You know, I don't know if you've ever been fed up with someone in church. 
<laughs> Maybe you've been fed up with me. <laughs> Maybe you've been fed up with um, whatever it is. But when I think, oh my goodness, they're ready, as, as we all are, to be married to the Lamb of God forever and ever and ever. I'm not going to squirt ketchup over their wedding dress either. I'm going to remember that they are clothed in pure, fine linen, ready for him. And I'm going to think of them in a holy way. I'm going to choose carefully my words and my thoughts that I might honor the sacredness and holiness of who they are. And finally, this isn't an inward-looking thing because the bride of Christ reaches out and it says, come. You know, if you're here today or you're joining in online, and you've never thought about knowing Jesus in this way. Well, I just want to say, you know, would you come to the most precious, holy, strong, pure, kingly, priestly, wonderful person and allow him to bring you in as you trust in what he did for you 2,000 years ago into what he is preparing for the end of the age, the bride of Christ, of the thousands, millions of those who are incorporated into the church of Jesus and being prepared to be united with him physically, emotionally, spiritually for all of time, forever and ever. So would you come to Jesus simply in your hearts and know him forever and ever? Amen. Amen. So let's just, should we just turn that? Should we just respond in a prayer? You know, for all of us, there'll be things going on in our hearts, things we're thinking about, things we want to turn away from, things we want to turn to. And let's just take a moment to respond in our hearts. Then those of us who are online are going to offer you the opportunity to join a ministry and encounter Zoom. Let's just pray in our hearts together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that message. God, that, that invitation into this relationship, that invitation to turn back into this relationship, that out of that place of intimacy with you, out of that place of knowing who we are, changes the way we act, changes everything. So we just allow you, Holy Spirit, would you come and minister, take that message deep in our hearts that we would know we are the bride, that we are, we'd know we are loved, that our actions of love would be a consequence out of that to our friends and our family, to our mothers today, throughout the day and throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're joining with us online, we just really encourage you to uh, join in the ministry and encounter Zoom. That will be happening from now with Paddy. Um, so click on the link from the email or the YouTube link, or if you're already on the Zoom, just stay on that. Um, if you want to take this deeper, um, we just bless you. We bless you, and we'll see you next week. And so we just want to create just more space. Maybe you want to stand for those. We just want to take an opportunity to create some space for the Holy Spirit now. Before we leave, before we go on with our days, to allow Holy Spirit to take this word, this truth, and make it a reality in our hearts, make it a reality in our minds, in our, in our lives. Let's just make space. Let's just invite him in. You might want to put your hands out. You might want to, whatever with your body expresses that desire for him. 
that desire for him as, a, as the one who loves you, who yearns after you. Let's just leave a moment and see what Holy Spirit wants to do. Jesus, we thank you that you came to us. Even when we fail, we mess up. Like Hosea's bride, God, we turn away from you, we mess up, we, we don't honor you, we don't love you the way you loved us, but your love is relentless and consistent and it goes over and over and over against all the obstacles, all the things we put up against you. You just persevere, you break down the walls. And we are so grateful. And God, we invite you, God, we want to know at our deepest part of who we are, that we are the bride. Thank you that it's just through knowing who we are, through receiving, that we live our lives. Not wanting to stay in others, not wanting to stay in ourselves. And if you're here today and you know that you're that person, you know I am part of the church, that means I am the bride, we are the bride. I think we should just make a declaration together that we are the bride, that we would own that, that we would go into our lives knowing who we are, like a bride knows who she is when she puts on the dress, that she, as she prepares herself, that we would be in that mental state. So if you want to say with me, we are the bride, we're just going to, you can say it under your breath in your hearts. Jesus, we declare we are the bride bride you love but we want to serve you if you if you don't think you are in that category you're part of that that church knowing that you are loved that he is after you if you want to turn back to God if you feel like you've turned and you just want to be washed clean again just invite you right now in your own heart and just say God I'm sorry I'm sorry for for the source for the sin that I've spilt on myself and others God I'm turning back to you I'm turning to you I accept your forgiveness I accept that I am washed clean by your blood that I am pure in your sight I am loved that you remember my sins no more and I give my life to you for the first time. I give my life to you again. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come and fill me again and enable me to live out who I am. To know that I'm loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you reach out to us, reach out to someone you know? Uh, we just want to support you in that journey. But I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over, you, over us all, for us to go and enjoy our days, to go and live this out with Holy Spirit who empowers us to do it all. 
So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Go bless you, go and love your mothers, go and call them, give them flowers, make them feel special and we'll see you soon.